You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning. Uh, a lot of new faces. I love that. My name is Tim Eirich. I'm one of the elders and pastors here. We do this during every series. We do what we call a round table or sit in here and discuss God's word. So it's one thing to get up here and preach and unpack and teach the word of God. But part of the, part of the continuation of that is to sit down one-on-one and talk about it. Right. Answer questions, listen to how it's impacting our brothers and sisters and apply it to each other. So every time we do a series, we try to do one of these. So today, I have Kara Judy with me today and Ben, and we're going to go through basically a discussion of uh, John, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. We're going to concentrate on, on the centurion story, but we're going to look at the whole context. So if you'll open your Bible to Matthew chapter 8, I'm going to start in verse, I'm actually going to start in uh, chapter 7, verse 28, because it's really more contextual if we do it that way, and we're going to read through verse 15 of chapter 8. This is what God's Word says. And when, Je- and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, can you make me clean? And Jesus stretched out his hand and ch- touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant lying paralyzed at home, suffering there terribly. And he said to him, shall I come heal him? But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Then Jesus heard this. He marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the utter darkness, in that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the centurion, and to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother in law laying sick with fever. He touched her hand. And the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. This context starts at the end of 7, and it says that the people noticed that he had an authority over them. And we see this beautiful example of this authority. And he uses it three ways in this context. And we're going to look at one with the centurion. 
The first way, a leper just comes up and says, Lord, will you heal me? And Jesus uses authority. He looks at him and says, yeah, I will. I will heal you. Be healed. He was healed instantaneously. He comes to this next one. He comes to a centurion, and I'll unpack that here a little bit. And with the centurion, he actually starts his authority out with a question. In the Greek, it says, uh, in verse 7, it says, shall I heal him? He's asking the centurion a question. And the centurion will reply to that, and we'll talk about that in our discussion. And then the very last one, when he goes into Peter's house, he shows his authority. He walks in the house. He sees Peter's mother sick. No question, no request. He simply goes up there, lays his hand on her, and she's healed. Three beautiful examples of Christ using his authority in three really different ways. One, a reply to request. One, a reply to faith. And one, I look at it and say, one, just because he can. No request from Peter's mom. He just sees she's sick. Lays his hand on him and she's healed. No words. Okay. So what we're going to do today, we're going to really get into the centurion story and talk more about it and unpack it and discuss it. Uh, so I did prep. Uh, thought it was totally unfair just to let them spontaneously have to answer the questions I give them. So we did prep a little bit. Uh, the first question I have for, for us that I'd love to discuss is in verse 6, Jesus' response is a question to the centurion. In, in the Greek, it's, it's pretty clear that Jesus is saying to the centurion, says, come, I got a sick, uh, a sick servant. And Jesus goes, shall I come and heal him? And a question, why do, you think, why do you think Christ poses as a question to the centurion and not a, not a uh, direct statement? Um, when we were kind of talking about this earlier, it reminded me of the way in Genesis when God's talking to Adam and asks him where he is. Like, God knows what the centurion wants. God knew Adam's physical location. Um, but it seemed to me like it was kind of an um, opportunity to understand the heart of the people that he's talking to, for them to recognize it, um, as well as for, in this case, it seems like for Jesus to be able to use that as an example for the crowds that he's among, but kind of a, a window into the heart condition of the centurion in this case, um, because then we're allowed to see as the conversation kind of unfolds um, his faith. Good, good. Ben? Okay. So in their first response, the centurion comes up and says, you know, I have a, I have a, uh, a sick uh, servant, and would you heal him? And Jesus' response to the centurion is, shall I come heal him as a question? Not like he did to the, uh, not like he did to the leper where he said, I will, and he healed him. Here it's more of a question to the person requesting the healing. Yeah. I think... Um kind of echoing what Kara said, Jesus knows all things, right? And so, in some way, I feel like he knew that um, the centurion would have this faith 
uh, in order for Jesus not actually to be there and, and heal him. So I feel like Jesus kind of says this to him in order to like prompt that from the centurion because Jesus knows all things. Um, he, he knows our faith. Um, he knows our hearts. And so when he says to him, when he's like clarifying, I will come and heal him, like I, I will go, he's kind of opening that uh, that opportunity for the centurion to say, you know, I'm not worthy to have you in my house. Just, just say the word, right? Which is where we see that faith come through. Good. Something you both, Kara said, and, and you alluded to that I think is, is important here. Every time we see Christ work in Scripture, very seldom is he alone, right? There's people watching him, right? And we see that in the Gospel of John all the time. It's as part of the, the main theme of the gospel. John is people watching him. They're watching him do everything, right? And some people are taking notes just to have a good feeling and, and get closer to Christ. Other people are taking notes so they can bring charges up against him. So everybody's watching him. And in these instances, what Jesus responds to the centurion is just as important to the people around him. What he says to the centurion, Shall I come heal you? It's just as much a question to his disciples that are watching him. Because he's drying out. It's kind of an open-ended question, right? Shall I come heal him? And the centurion goes, his response is, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to even come into my house. You, all you have to do is say the word, right? He does. He gives him more information. With the leper, it was just, yep, I will. I'll heal you. With this one, he's drying out. And he's drying out, that's... He's drawn out not just for the centurion's story, but for the disciples around him, everybody else watching him. And that's important on how he worked in us. My salvation story, your salvation story, Karen and, and Ben's gray story is not only for them, but it was for all the people watching them. And it's for everything they do from now on. Nothing that God does is ever in isolation. It's always so his people see what he does and we glorify him in heaven. So I like, I like where, you, where you went with that. Um, and I love that the Holy Spirit and that Christ at that time put this as a question, not a statement. Because it drew more information out of it. And we're going to see why he did that here with the centurion, that he didn't have to do it with the leper and he didn't do it at all with uh, Peter's mother. So the very next thing after that, verse 7 says, And he said to him, Shall I come and heal him? But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant shall be healed. It goes on in verse 9. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another one, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this and do that. So what, my next question for both of you, what does this centurion see in Jesus by that comment? He sees something for that the Holy Spirit wants us to key in on because of this text. But he also sees something uh, in Christ that we're going to find out the rest of Israel doesn't see. What did, by that very comment in verse 8, what do you think? Uh, what do you think the centurion sees in Jesus? Do you want to start? Okay. 
Um, well, he talks about authority here, and the centurion was a military leader, yes? Mm -hmm. um, so understanding how kind of in the military he gets his authority from somewhere, <laughs> his general or whatnot. I don't know that much about military, I'm so sorry. But, um, and then he has soldiers under him that with that authority that he gets, he sends them out and gives them orders and they respond. And so I think here he's acknowledging um, the authority that Jesus has um, that comes from God um, to him and then that he can then work out healing and other, other miracles that we've seen here, other healing that we've seen here because of that authority that he has. Um, so yeah, just kind of acknowledging the authority that Jesus has from God, especially because he can um, then kind of send healing, I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it, but heal without being physically present, um, meaning that he can operate like outside of physical space and proximity and those sorts of things. Um, and that God is the only other being that can do that. And so that has to be kind of where that authority comes from. If he's recognizing that he can just say a word and it happens, he doesn't have to be there. He doesn't have to touch necessarily if he doesn't choose, like, you know, he chose to with the leper, um, but that he has authority that comes from God because that's the only other being that could allow, um, give the ability for that to be possible. Good, good. Ben. Yeah, I was gonna say something similar. Um, there's a lot that is tied up in that statement in verse eight, right? First, he's ascribing Jesus, he's calling him Lord, right? Which is like, a, I'm submitted under you. Um, and then he says, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. There's like, what well, Robbie's gonna see later, there's a, a huge amount of faith that comes from that. And I think even too, as we'll see later, the centurion was from another people group, right? Like he wasn't of the house of Israel. Exactly. And so what also surprises me here too is like if he was if he was not if he didn't grow up hearing stories of like the Messiah and and see all this foreshadowing in Old Testament scripture, he's just going off of probably what he's heard about this Jesus and like he still has the faith, right? Because I mean He's, he's asking Jesus to heal his servant. Um, he says, only say the word and my servant will be healed. Like, so there's, a, there's just a lot that's tied up in there. I mean, in order to say that simple phrase, there's a huge trust and faith that the centurion has, right? That Jesus has authority over all creation, right? He can actually heal. That he can do it from afar, you know? Um, and that whole like background, like he had to have an immense amount of trust in Jesus, just knowing who he was and like hearing the stories, which is like, you know, going back to what this series has been about, you know, like we all have a story to share. And as Jesus encounters people throughout the gospels, those people went and shared that, you know? And so it makes me ask the question, <clears throat> if the people who encountered Jesus hadn't even gone out and shared that story of healing, of restoration, like would this centurion have even have heard about this man named Jesus who can heal from afar and who has authority over all things? So um, to me, that's what's tied up in verse 8. In verse 9, he's just, I just see him 
relating to Jesus's authority. So, you know, he's saying, I'm, I'm a man under authority with people under me. I say to one, go, and he goes to another, come, and he comes, and to a servant, do this, and he does it. So I think he's appealing to the fact that Jesus has authority over all things and can, just with his word, Excellent. cause healing. Yeah, so you, you bring out this centurion. So let's talk about him a little bit more. So we're in Caprinium, and the centurion in Caprinium, the centurion's role in the Roman army was to be the um, executor or the, or the order. So somebody, anybody above him, Herod or Caesar or his authority said, you go and collect taxes today, that man carried out that order, and the people underneath him carried out that order. If they said, you go arrest this group of people today, they went, arrest, went and arrested. That was their job. Their whole job was to execute upon the orders of authority, right? And you never thought anything different. You never went, went against it in the Roman Emperor, right? It just didn't happen. It wasn't even a thought process. Interrupt. So this centurion more than likely was not Roman. He was probably Gentile from that local area. And so he's, we learn a little bit more about him if we read Luke. Luke talks more about this story. And Luke gives us a little more information. He says the centurion actually um, helped the local Jewish people build their synagogue. And the elders of the local synagogue looked at the centurion as a friend. He wasn't mean to him. He wasn't ugly to him. He wasn't... Um, he didn't separate them and, and, and oppress them. Um, he actually, for some reason, was attracted to the Jewish nation, even, even that he actually helped them build a synagogue. So something about this centurion made, it, made Judaism very attractive to him, right? He watched him. He listened to him. What's interesting, though, is Jesus' response to his understanding and his condemnation to the people of Israel. And so he says here, he says, Jesus answered that question, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion says, Lord, I love what you, you got there, Ben. He addressed him in a very high, respectful manner, above what he would have called his, his authority, right? He addressed him. He addressed him in the term that an Israelite would have addressed at God in the Old Testament. Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof all you have to do, Lord, is say a word. You've been given that authority. And then he gives this example. Just as I've been given authority, if I say a word, my men carry it out with no questions. You've been given this authority, Jesus. Any word you say will be carried out, no questions asked. And where does he see this authority coming from? This is why Jesus comes back to him and says... Oh, the faith you have that all of Israel doesn't have. He sees something Israel doesn't see. Turn to John chapter 6. Excuse me, John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 19. Remember, this whole context starts out with these people in amazement of how Jesus speaks with authority. Right? Right? Then this man comes, the centurion comes and says, I, I have that authority. Here's what Jesus says in chapter 5 of John, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, 
I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as a father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom, will, to whom he will. For father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come to judgment, but he has passed from death to life. So the next thing I want, knowing that, knowing that that's what he sees in Christ, knowing that John shows us where his authority comes from, right? Now look at verse 9 again, and, and then look at verses. I want to hear, look at verse 9, and then tell me why, why Jesus responds to the centurion with these words in verse 10. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. That's a huge uh, compliment to the centurion, but a big condemnation to all of Israel. So what are your thoughts on that? Who wants to go first? Well, Verse 10 is verse 10 gets me because again Jesus knows all things the father tells him all things right and so I still don't understand and I kind of I marvel and wonder at the fact that you know Jesus knew this man and he could he could know his faith right but at the same time he marvels at his faith right so like in verse 7 Jesus is asking, you know, well, shall I come and heal him? Getting the centurion to, to say, you know, you don't have to come, you know, physically to where I'm at, just say the word. And then, you know, he explains this trust that he has, and then Jesus hears this and marvels. Um, to me, like, I still get caught up over that. But um, I see the authority of, of the Father and the Son, you know, in verse 9, with the, the, what the centurion is saying, saying that he's under authority, and he's just saying to Jesus that he knows that Jesus has all the authority. As we see later, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Um, but then, yeah, like what you were saying in verse 10, <clears throat> truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. It's a huge statement. Um, and I don't know if you want me to unpack this now, but in 11 and 12 too, I mean, he's basically, and this was what I sent to Tim, what I got out, out of this passage mostly is the idea that Jesus is communicating a lot about his kingdom and what he desires the kingdom of, of God to be, right? He's saying, I found no one in Israel with such faith as this person who's outside of Israel, which at the time the Israelites had this superior mindset, oh, we are the chosen you know, race, a royal priesthood. But what he's saying is he's saying this man who's, who's outside of Israel, you could say, 
has a stronger faith than those that are within. And he goes on to say, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. And I don't think he's saying all people, you know, all Israelites will be, but he's leveling the playing field, especially with the, his followers, you know, because his followers would have been those people who he's trying to challenge with their faith, you know. And so for me, like, that's the part that strikes me the most in seeing, like, seeing that Jesus is saying, listen, the gospel is not just for the Israelites. The gospel is for all people. And here's a man who has only been told, you know, stories of me, and he has more faith than some of you do, you know, in that challenge and critique. And, um, you know, for me personally, like, I, I struggle with that, you know, because I, it's, it challenges me, because oftentimes I see, you know, myself in the light of, of having walked with the Lord for a long time, and, and just being challenged by in and out of different times of my life, how little faith I have, or in sometimes it seems as, as though my faith is very strong. I like what you said there, because sometimes we get caught up in knowledge and no belief. So you look at somebody who's got a lot of knowledge, but when then you look at their life, they have no belief or very small belief, or vice versa. You have the, this, this strong faith and belief with very little knowledge or a growing knowledge. And I think, I think you touched on something there, Ben, that this is a beautiful text to show what the heart of God is looking for. He's looking for belief, right? So all the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and especially John, but Matthew too, we look at Jesus challenging the authorities, right? Challenging those of knowledge. And what he was challenging them on is you have such great knowledge, but you have no faith. You have such knowledge, but you have no belief. And we'll get to that here in a minute. So give me, give me your thoughts on that text here. Just in kind of hearing what you were saying, how you were wrapping up what Ben was talking about, it made me think of John 6, 29, where it says, this is the work of God that you believe in whom he has sent. Just how critical that is. It's not the doing. It's not the being chosen as the Israelites were chosen, like the chosen people, but it's believing. Um, so, yeah, I also found kind of a lot of hope and encouragement in... Um, the text that we're talking about here, just because, like Ben was saying, like the gospel is for everyone, um, and that this man's great faith was built on the backs of those who shared their story, like we talked about at the beginning, just how important it is to share our story with everyone, to share both that knowledge and that, I feel like, kind of my gray story is the reason that I believe. Like, I can read and read and read all day, but when I experience the goodness of Jesus and the transformation of my heart, that's when it comes alive. And being able to share that, um, in addition to cherishing and seeking him through his word and knowing him more, um, is huge. And I feel like that's why the centurion was able to come to Jesus with such great faith because he had heard he was a friend of the Jews and helped them build their synagogue. He heard the stories, heard them probably reciting scripture and doing all of those sorts of things, and that built his belief um, up to this point. So yeah, just echoing what both of you have said, just it being for everyone and the importance of sharing our story. There's Sometimes we miss it, and Ben got it, but 11 is huge. 
I will tell you many will come from east and west outside of Israel. Many will come from outside of Israel. Look what they'll do. And recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's a big thing to an Israelite to think, look forward to laying in Abraham's bosom or, or, or spending uh, or sitting there and fellowshipping with Abraham. And he's saying they're going to come from east and they're going to come from west. They're going to come from outside of Israel and do this. And then he says, while the sons of the kingdom, right? He's talking about Israelites will be thrown into outer darkness in that place that will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and the centurion and to the centurion so he makes that statement about the faith of this centurion he just opens up the gospel and and, uh, access to God almighty creator of the universe to everyone that has always been that way but now that's the good news of the gospel and then he says this Go, let it be done for you. He's talking to the centurion. Go let this, what you ask be done for you as you have believed. You believe so much that I could heal this, your servant? Let it be done. And then it says, and the servant was healed at that very moment from a distance. It's the only place in Scripture we see Jesus healing from a distance. So it's another beautiful view of who Christ is. He doesn't have to be there. He can just speak it, and it will happen because he's the eternal word. And so we see this, we see this beautiful, when we back up and look at the context again, remember, it started at the end of 7 where we get this picture of the authority of Christ. And then we get these three examples of Christ healing and actually seeing his authority practically play out. Um, so a couple more things I want to discuss. Um, when, we look at, when we look at this, the faith of the practical use of our faith in, this, in our belief story and any belief story, if we see that as a precious gift, right, that, that we've been given that grace and now we have this this practicalness to it, right? We don't, we don't just sit there and keep that treasure within us. We go out and share it. Um, we know very little of the life of this centurion, but his faith was greater than all of Israel. Understanding that truth now from unpacking that, uh, how, how are you going to incorporate that in your walk? We now see this, this example of this centurion. How are you going to take that type of faith, that type of response to Christ, incorporated into your story in your walk one thing I take away from this is um, there's very there's very little that the centurion actually said you know um, and so you know sometimes I think Sometimes I think I have to explain uh, things very eloquently or I have to, you know, spend a lot of time with someone in order to share, you know, what the Lord has done for me. But I mean, in this, it's like 10 verses and a lot of it is Jesus speaking, you know. There's only about three verses where the centurion is actually speaking. And in that, 
in those three verses, basically it's the ask, right? Centurion's asking Jesus to come and heal his servant, which even in the ask, there's faith that he will come and do it. And then in verse 8, you see the centurion basically saying, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word. And then in verse 9, he's talking about Jesus' authority. So like in three sentences, like he says enough in three sentences for Jesus to marvel at his faith. I'm like, okay, maybe I, <laughs> maybe I, maybe I don't have to say a whole lot. You know, maybe I can just just share, you know, what the Lord has done for me. And like then the rest of that just kind of carries on from there. And so, you know, for me, one thing I take away from it is just the simplicity of this story, you know, because I think a lot of times the pressure weighs on me, and maybe I'm speaking for more than just me when I say this, but sometimes the pressure weighs on me to have to, like, clearly communicate, you know, lots of things. But even in this, like, he says very little, and Jesus marvels at his faith, and it's this huge moment for Jesus to share you know, with the, his disciples. So I guess I would say what I'm taking away from this and in, in sharing my, my testimony is to just share it simply, you know, simply state what the Lord has done because he's done great things in my life and um, they speak for themselves. Excellent. Carol. Yeah. Um, I think coupled with the kind of verbal communication of our faith and our story. I think um, one of my struggles is living each day, moment by moment, in the truth of what I know the Lord has done for me and the truth of who I know him to be. Um, I feel like, you know, a big part of your life, or my, I'll speak from personal perspective, my life, you know, you're learning how to move and move through the world and live life and all that kind of stuff. and. For me, a lot of influences were cultural. Um, and then coming to know Jesus and then spending the next part of my life <laughs> trying to unlearn all of the things that I already learned and live and walk in the truth. Um, and so the conviction, to me, the conviction of the centurion was just so strong and his belief was so strong and rooted that he was just living his life in that truth, acting accordingly, and again, Jesus marveled at his faith. Others were challenged by his faith. So I think there's the two of them working together, not only being able to speak what we know and what we've experienced, but also boldly living from that place of, I know who he is, I know he, what he's done for me, and how can I live any other way <laughs> but boldly um, according to who he is? And so that, for me, that's part of my struggle and the encouragement that I'm taking from kind of the question and thinking about that more is just being more conscious day by day and asking the Lord to help me to do that, to lay aside those things that are weighing me down that are lies and not truth, <laughs> um, that have kind of muddied or muddled, you know, my um, belief just piled themselves on top of it, but to, to be free from those things so that I can live boldly with my faith on display in just the way that I'm moving through the world. And then also that I would have those opportunities to then verbalize, um, even in my interactions one-on-one -on -one with the Lord, if I'm like praying or talking to somebody or whatever, but just how I, I move through the world and also how I speak. There's more. Yeah, I just, I had this verse come to me. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, really verses 1 through 5, is Paul talking about, 
we're just we're talking about the centurion, right? He probably didn't know much of Jesus. He just knew of him and like the works that he did, right? And how that's what I hear both of us saying, like, you know, Jesus marveled almost you could say he marveled at the lack of knowledge that the centurion had, yet the greatness of his faith. And it reminded me of of what Paul says here in First Corinthians two. He says and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And this was the verse that came to mind. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. And then in this verse five, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I, I like that. I think, I think one place the church or leadership in the church over decades has strayed is exactly in that. We are called to teach and we are called to bring people up in maturity. But the simple thing is we're supposed to go out there and give the gospel. In all its simplicity, just like Paul said to, right? And what we've done sometimes, because I hear it a lot in, in the times that I've discipled and worked with young people, is they're saying, well, I, I'm, I'm not equipped to go uh, evangelize that person, talk to Christ. Or what, a lot of times what happens, I'll give you a perfect example, you'll come to me and Bill and say, hey, I've got somebody that I want you to give the gospel to. Guess what? You're equipped just because you're saved. It's exactly what we see here right? That faith of, of the centurion, exactly what Paul says there, you don't have to be fearful of talking about Christ. Your, your simple story of what Christ did for you, God will use. Probably much better than somebody unpacking Romans 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, right? Simply them seeing your love for them in the state that they're in in your love for Christ to show them what the centurion saw in Christ, what the leper saw in Christ, right? So I like that. Last thing we see in these stories, starting from the leper to the centurion to Peter's mother, is something that, that you really have to understand all of Scripture. You don't really have to understand all of Scripture, but we miss it we see a beautiful picture of the compassion and the mercy of Jesus Christ, right? This leper simply comes up to him and says, if you'll heal me, and Jesus' response is, I will. I will heal you. I don't need to know your story. Don't want to know how you got leprosy. I don't care about any of that is what Jesus said. He simply loved and had mercy and compassion on this person, and he said, I will. And to the centurion, he sits there and lets the story unwind a bit, and he sees this great faith, and he says, yeah, because of your faith, and he, he said, because of your faith, it's already done. Go home. He's healed, right? And then he walks into Peter's house, and all he sees is Peter's mom not feeling well, and the mercy and compassion of God, of Emmanuel, right, God with us, looks at this woman, he just touches her, fever's gone. In all instances, what he's showing us is his mercy and compassion on those he has created. And if we can grasp that part of this, 
how we take that to a lost world that certainly needs mercy and compassion is huge. The church can be sometimes a very merciless and compassionless organization. Why? Maybe it's because we simply don't see that truth all the way through Scripture. So the last question I have, looking at that truth, how do you, how do you honor, how, how do you, number one, I don't think you can live that outside of community. One thing you notice all the way through Scripture, it's all about community, right? We're going to preach, I'm going to teach on Mary Magdalene in, uh, in a couple weeks. There's very little said about Mary Magdalene in Scripture, very little. You can go home reading about 60 seconds. One thing just jumps out and gets you right in the face. Community. The one huge truth about Mary Magdalene is she joined in the community of Jesus Christ and lived in that community. Christianity is a, is a Christian. Christ died, his blood prayed for community. You can't, you can't grow in your mercy and compassion outside of community. Mercy and compassion, something sometimes you got to exercise doing, right? You got to show it, right? And sometimes you got to show it and get beat up for it. That's what James says. God's going to send you through many trials. Some trials are going to be me showing somebody mercy and that person really not wanting my mercy or my compassion. And James says, so what? You're going to come out of this totally different on the other end, Right? Jesus walked into these three situations and showed mercy and compassion regardless of the reason why the person needed mercy and compassion. That wasn't at the top of Christ's mind. Do you struggle that? Is that, is that a daily struggle with any of us? Never, no. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> I think there's a lot of tendency to want to extend um, grace and mercy, compassion, those things to in situations where um, I feel like someone is worthy of it. <laughs> and I think only as I start to understand just how unworthy and in need I was and am on a daily basis and how much I need to receive that from Christ daily, then I'm able to extend it to other people. I'm far from even good at that. <laughs> I know I'll never be perfect, but um, just thinking about Jesus touching a leper and how the rule of the day was you just don't do that. You're unclean, it's icky, <laughs> like people with open bleeding sores, that sort of a thing. And thinking about how we're called to um, associate with folks that a lot of, sometimes the church even says, like, don't, no, no, we don't, I mean, we can pray for them, but we just, we don't associate with them, like, physical proximity, that sort of a thing. So, um, and then thinking about how, with Peter's mom, he saw a need and met it, and how often I might think, oh, well, somebody else would probably do that better than I would, or so-and-so is really good at thinking of those things, they've probably already got that started, so I won't even worry about it, as opposed to seeing a need and saying, hey, can I do this for you? And not thinking that someone else is going to do it or somebody's better at it than me or something like that. You know, just thinking about those different scenarios when I struggle um, and to want to qualify how 
people will, like what people might do with it if I extend compassion or mercy. Will they, you know, mishandle it or take advantage of it? Is that rewarding something that shouldn't be, you know, those sorts of things instead of just leaning in um, as the Lord calls and doing that. Um, it's definitely a struggle for me. Yeah. I like what you're saying there. There's, there, there's plenty of time after we show the mercy, the initial mercy and compassion to find out the details, right? A lifetime, right? Years that we can get to know that person, that we can unpack the details. What Christ showed us right here is the first thing you need to show is mercy and compassion. Ben. I'd echo what Kara said. I think she said it great. So I'll just say compassion is, I'm not, I'm not God. So I don't get to decide who gets compassion and not. So that's a hard thing for me to do. But oftentimes I, I do that. I'm like, oh, this person deserves it. This person doesn't. I didn't deserve mercy. And yet God saw fit for me to receive it. So, yeah. I think sometimes, again, we sit and go, well, well, Tim, it's good, but I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't have it in me. The minute Christ t tells us in John that it's good that I'm going to go away because I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send the counselor, and he's going to live in you. And you know what we all do? Galatians, Paul tells us in Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit, one fruit, not multiple fruits, the fruit of the Spirit. Everybody sitting here that's saved by God's grace has the fruit of the Spirit. We all have this in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. Christ died. His blood purchased the ability for the Holy Spirit to come into me and give me the fruit of the Spirit. Y'all have that. And sometimes it's simply looking at somebody and loving them where they're at, right? Again, build a relationship with them. Grab community. You can find out the details later. They will come out. But initially, just show mercy and compassion. I want to end with this and transition back into, uh, into uh, worship and to praise if you begin to look at our whole series on everyone and, and look at what we learned today, a truth becomes really clear as we look at God's word in, in the context of everyone and how we should use our story and that our stories are really all quite similar. And they're all quite similar in this. The triune God, because that's how God exists. God three in one. The triune God in the Old Testament has always pursued. God has always pursued. He is a pursuing God. That's why he created. In the Old Testament, it was more God the Father doing the pursuing. Then God came with us. Emmanuel came. It was Christ living here. And he pursued. And then he knew that, he knew that in our weakness, we would never pursue so what did he do? When he said, it's going away and it's good that I'm going away, he sent the Holy Spirit. And for 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit in the life of believers causes us to pursue. Pursue the lost. And not only pursue the lost, pursue our brothers and sisters to help grow us up. 
And at the end of it, the story is for one beautiful reason. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the reason for the gospel is to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's it. Before the foundations of the world, God said, I will bring forth my son. He will die for your sin, Tim. For yours. He'll spill his precious blood, his holy precious blood for your sin, Tim. And through that, I will fill you with my Holy Spirit, Tim. And now go pursue. Go pursue. The mercy and compassion that I put in you, Tim, show that mercy and compassion to everyone. Whether they deserve it or not, whether you think they deserve it or not, Tim, because guess what? When I poured it out on you, you certainly did not deserve it, Tim. Open yourself up to that. Grow into that. That's your story. That's being part of the everyone that he called. Let's pray. Holy Father, I stand always amazed at your story. I stand always in awe that the self-existing God that exists is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that it needed nothing to complete you, that you are perfect just as you are, chose to create. And in that creation, you chose to create one creature that is totally different than all your other creation and in your image. And that through that, you're going to bring them into eternal fellowship in such an amazing way that you would display your glory in the face of your son, Jesus Christ. Not my glory, not anything I could do, but Jesus reflecting the glory of God the Father. Let us just sit and uh, ponder on the mercy and the compassion just in that truth. You who needed to do nothing to prove that you existed decided to do an amazing thing to show us that you existed we thank you in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things Amen